This is Coda Radio, episode 280 for October 23rd, 2017. everyone and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris and joining us, perhaps from his bunker, perhaps from the road, only time will tell us, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mr. Fisher. Hello, sir. It's good to be back with you. Back in our traditional Monday time slot, too. I've I've been pre-warned, so I've brought a hard hat, but I don't know what it's about. I've prepped so, myself. Uh, I don't want to be too inappropriate on the air today. Yeah, right. But I am holding... Excuse me, Mr. Bladder of a nine-month pregnant woman. That's right. That's right. Chris that wasn't pregnant. in the show, though. I forgot. <laughs> You put it in the show, so it's still on you. <laughs> still on me. So in my hand, I have something big, black, and beautiful. I'm kind of stroking it, um, and it seems to like the touch. It does. Really? And the touch hasn't been disabled? No, the touch has not been disabled. Can, hmm. you, can you guess what it is? I thought I had a guess what it was, but uh, and now I'm thinking, is it an echo? It is not an echo. Okay. That was that was a good guess. Is it a is it a phone? Because that pretty much would describe all phones as well. It's a phone. Let me. Can I give you a hint? Yeah. If you had a kit for your home, this device would be good to control it. Hmm. Hmm. If I had a kit for my home, is it a Google Home? No. There's no way it's a HomePod, dude. There's no way it's a HomePod. It is not a HomePod. Okay, all right, okay. What controls the HomePod? Uh, the phone. An iPad? It is an iPhone 8 Plus. Oh. I upgraded. I thought I didn't. I, I guess I, I didn't say iPhone. You said Google. You yeah. said Nexus. Yeah. I think you yeah. thought I had the I, Pixel, yeah, which I, I almost did, actually. So. so you did. Wow, look at you. Now, not to make this Apple radio, because God knows we're not going to do that. But uh, congratulations. Oh, Congratulations, you like it, I guess. You know, because for I, me, it's all, it's, you know what? I say anybody who's got themselves a new phone, congratulations. Good for you. Good. You know Good what? on you. I like the better camera, and my other phone inexplicably stopped working. I went to do the, the uh, you know, the like the warranty thing, and it turns out I had an upgrade anyway. So Nice. And so no 10 for you? Or No, no 10 for me right now. I'm, I'm just not interested in it. You know what's funny? Uh, I am... Um, I have been working on a new way to get some work done because, you know, a lot of times you and I talk about our devices because it's really what extensively it's the it's the greater topic of how we get our work done for the show. Um, And I've been working on like a two two remote solution workstation where I have two two different workstations, one that's up in the cloud on DigitalOcean and one that's physically here at the studio. And they have two very different tasks and they have two very different hardware uh, layouts. 
And I've been working on this, creating, and I'm trying to create, but trying to make their make their environments very much the same. So make the desktop environment and the application sets and sync as much of the settings as I can. Make all that the same between them, but use them essentially for different things because basically one has a very fast GPU and access to local gigab, you know, huge gigabit networking and huge files here on the on the land and one's up on DigitalOcean and has access to incredible amounts of storage and unbelievable network speeds so it's two very different work types but i want to i want to be able to just log into either one and just get right to work from any system that i'm on and uh, uh, i want to be able to i want to i want to be able to stop worrying about having my my programs logged in on my desktops about having like my profiles in chrome w- w- where i share them here in the studio these machines like just one remote system i log into it with one app i install that remote desktop app on all my computers and all my devices all my tablets and i get right into it it's, it's so i'm just early days but i tell you what it changes something about the way I look at, like, uh, reloading systems in the studio. It makes that way easier because I know any if I get into a pinch, any work I need to get done, I can just log into that remote system, either one of them. And even when I'm sitting now at at, uh, at workstations here in the studio, I'm often just re- logging into the remote system and just using the workstation in the studio as a dumb terminal. It's pretty great because it means I can just I can work from low bandwidth situations, high bandwidth situations. Anyways, so I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna get it all put together and I'm gonna talk about it more in some future show somewhere once I get it all dialed in. So I, I along the same vein, you know, like working on that kind of stuff, getting a new tool, changing the way you work a little bit, it it sometimes makes huge differences. That was, that's so the idea is that you're going to remote into these machines, basically, and just run like run the desktops. Yeah, I'm using. I'm trying to use a high performance remote desktop system uh, that's secure and doesn't require a lot of fiddling. Y- you have reinvented time sharing. Yeah, um, but my own systems. It's great. Hmm. It's great. I tried to do something like this in 2015 for yeah. builds. I tried to do. And I don't want to get too deep into the Apple stuff because uh, we know how upset people get. But I try to – I better. I <laughs> try to have like an array of Mac minis that would basically do iOS builds and code signings, automated deployments. Uh, this is this is before that was like built into Xcode, before you could easily automate hockey app and things like that. It was mixed, I would say. Yeah, there's there's pros and cons. Um, it's gotten better. So I used to do this too way back in the day. Um, and then, of course, I supported it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, 700, 800 users. Right. Um, but uh, I now, now it's, it, it's, there's something about the, the state of um, data and privacy and all of like, like now everything's all synchronized and logged in. Like if you sit down at one of these systems here in the studio and open up Chrome, uh, Chrome is it's just one persona away, and you have all of my bookmarks. You know, you can open up tabs and go to Web Telegram and be logged into my Telegram, into my Discord tab, my Google Docs. Like it's all right there because I sit down at this computer every single day and I do stuff on air. I kind of have to set these systems up so I can use them. And what I'm looking at now is maybe I can maybe I can stick all of that in these remote systems and keep it safe. And then when I when I sit down and I, I walk away from the system, I log out. It's it's better than remote users. Or it's better than multiple users on the system because there's there's no data left behind, and there's there's no um, I have no like no qualms with just nuking a system and paving it and just reloading it from scratch because I don't lose anything. Well, theoretically, the system you carry 
could actually be pretty lightweight and yeah. you don't need a whole lot of power. Right, yeah. yeah. Maybe even a Chromebook. So, yeah, that is yeah, it. Uh, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, that is, that's been exciting for me because it's sort of, it, it sort of let me do some stuff that was high bandwidth requirements when I was on a really slow connection recently and I was like, okay, game changer here. I'll talk about it more at some point. New tools. Mm-hmm. I'm jelly of your phone. I'm actually pretty, I'm good with my phone right now. I, I'm, I'm holding tight. I'm holding tight. We, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about conditionals today in a certain language that may run on that phone. Also, it's optional. Um, yes. Maybe, maybe, quote unquote, maybe some Haskell stuff. Get what, see what I did there? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> and then if we have time um, from the Dominic Totally Called It segment of the show, it's the end of the startup era and we have the data to prove it. It is good, oh, gone, no. and dead. Oh, no. Oh, we'll have time. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, in fact, I'm fired up. I want to open with that. Do you want to? Okay, all right, I, well, good just, enough. We'll warm up. We'll warm up here a little bit. So uh, this so, is uh, from TechCrunch. Yeah, so TechCrunch has a good habit of, like, taking my ideas from, like, three years ago and acting like they're brand-new revelations that no one's ever said before. And, uh, yeah, so remember, if you listen back to... Coder Radio in 2014, which, by the way, Chris, there was a Coder Radio in 2014. <laughs> You'll know that I was pretty pretty concerned, right, about monetization and particularly about how how were these startups who were getting these ridiculous valuations, right, actually going to ever get out from under those valuations? Meaning, how could the companies perform to a level that you know makes that real, right? Um, and the answer was, well, they're not. <laughs> right? Answers that they didn't. And uh, you know, we, how many how many episodes did we do where we talked about the bubble is going to start letting air out? It's going to start mm-hmm. letting air out. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, it took I would say what end of 2015, you started to see some unicorns commit Harry Carry, and uh, yeah, and and now TechCrunch on the bleeding edge as always in 20 in October of 2017 noticed, huh. This doesn't seem good. Yeah, they do. You now, what they do that uh, I think makes it stick here is they go back and they, they sort of quote some facts to, right to your face, and it's hard to argue with them. They say, the web boom of 1997 through 2006 brought us Amazon, Facebook, Google, yeah. Salesforce, Airbnb, etc., because the internet was a new thing. And then the smartphone boom of 2007 to 2016 brought us Uber, Lyft, Snap, uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Because, you know, they were, they were really good smartphone apps. Um, and then they draw in a, a, a data point that is hard to also argue with. They say it's no coincidence that the seed funding is down in 2017. It's no coincidence that Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft have grown from the five big, big tech companies to the most valuable public companies in the world. Um future belongs to them, and to a lesser extent, their second-tier ilk. And then he says, consider Y Combinator. By all accounts, the gold standard of startup accelerators, famously harder to get into than Harvard, then considered, and then consider its alumni. Five years ago, in 2012, it's the three poster children, and they were clearly poised to dominate their markets, become huge companies, Airbnb, and Dropbox, and Stripe. And so it came to pass. If you fast-forward to today... And you look at Y Combinator's poster children still, well, it's unchanged. In the last six years, they funded more than twice as many startups as they did in their first six. But the author challenges you you 
to name any of their post-2011 alumni, that, uh, and any of them that are well-positioned as their ones in 2012. It's just sort of, it's sort of dried up, and he, he makes a good case as to why all the new technology spaces require much more than something startups are geared to offer. Yeah, and, and I would even I would add a few points to that. Also, more and more you're building on a platform or you're in some way actually financially, you know, paying one of the big companies, right? Um, I mean, I'm, I even think about my own, right? Alice at the Mad Botter, we are building on them a spot framework. And a lot of the uh, processing for Alice is actually on Azure. So, you know, that's a big dependency. Indeed, um, indeed. But yeah. if you look at what you're trying to pull off, uh, it's not really like so. Take AI. Yeah, uh, the right. author points out AI doesn't require top tier. Doesn't just require top tier talent. That talent is all but useless without mountains of the right kind of data. And who essentially has the best data? Well, it's the big five again, right? And their Chinese counterparts. Let me tell you something. If I could get some of that Alibaba data, man. <laughs> you know, so it's like, what, Jack, what else can you do, though? What else can you do for building Alice? You don't have an option. You can't go get the data sets that Google has. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying a slightly different strategy. I mean, we're obviously, you know, we're using Microsoft's Lewis engine, which is, is their ML engine. And, we, and it obviously does a lot of machine learning under the, under the hood. But I'm actually trying to, and I don't want to get into a deep AI conversation, but there's different types of AI you can have for bots, right? And while machine learning is certainly the most common and probably the, I would say, the most popular right now, it is not, it, it does have that disadvantage of if you're small, you need, you have a dependency for, for a data set on, you know, in this, in our case, Microsoft. But I also have a theory that it's actually not going to be the one that ends up being the most effective for the things that we're trying to do. Um, it's great for the low-hanging fruit, right? Like Alice can easily figure out based on, you know, natural language processing and just like tons of data, i.e. machine learning, that, you know, Valentine's Day is February 14th, right? Th things like that. Um, but there are other things, more intuitive types of uh, algorithms you might want to work with that machine learning is, in my opinion not necessarily the right approach for the problem space. Now, I could be wrong, um, and I have no background in data science, so this will be fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then uh, to really kind of the, other, the only other point that really sort of resonated with me, there's several others, including crypto and AR and VR and self-driving yeah. cars, but hardware, such as drones and IoT devices, they're hard to prototype, they're generally low margin, they're expensive as hell to bring to market, and they're very expensive to scale out and build, and it generally leads you into some sort of litigation at some point. Look at Fitbit, well, Jawbone, DJI, H HTC, all of them, you know, well, are struggling yeah. to some degree. It's also not a, it's also not a five year flip, right? You know, like we have to, let's let's think let's just think back a little bit. Think about all the, you know, there was a, I mean, one app comes to mind, Oyster, which was I don't know if you remember this one, Chris, it was an iPad and Android app, uh, an iPhone as well. For it was basically Netflix for books. It was out for maybe six months, and then okay. Google hired them. Oh. It immediately, immediately shut down the service, yeah, like okay. overnight. Like, hey, we've been acquired and gone. And why? Because these big companies have have two problems, uh, or really two things going for them. They're bureaucratic. So, and if if an app is a good idea. It's often easier for the M and A department just to buy the little company than to get a, a project off the ground. 
the second thing is that especially in California, I mean, they're, they are starving for developers right now. I think that some of their standards are stupid and they could alleviate the pain themselves if they invested more in mentorship and like an apprenticeship model, but they brought in, uh, uh, you know, younger, just out of college or college kids that didn't necessarily need to be the top, you know, 5% of the graduating class. But, you know, because, you know, somebody at Google is working on the admin panel, right? <laughs> Although if you've ever used the Google for Work admin panel, that may not be the case. <laughs> uh, don't even get me started on the new Azure layout. But, uh, uh. You, you, you know, they, there are strategies that they could take that would alleviate this pain. Instead, the strategy they've taken is you know, political, right? I mean, they're up there pushing for visas. Uh, Sheryl Sandberg's in D.C. right now. And they just, like... Every time a little company develops a nice-looking iOS app or whatever, or a good-looking web app, they just like buy the company, shut down the product, make the people sign five-year commitments to work for them. Yeah, that's it. It's just like a super expensive form of recruiting. Yeah, and of course they have the money to burn. Um, so I have right. one more to submit from the Mike was right department. Uh, if if you'll if you'll hear it, if the judge is willing to hear it, I wish there was more, but keep going. <laughs> there probably is, but uh, okay. So let's take a moment uh, right here and let's thank Linux Academy, and then I'll bring it in. It's a little tease. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's how I do, man. It's how I do. And you know, I think also uh, I, I'm going to have a different take on this next one than you, uh, and I'm going to argue that it's a good thing. But first. We got to talk about Linux Academy. I, I feel like if you if you've listened to any topic on the show and you've wanted to expand upon it, Linux Academy is a great option for you. Also, if you want to move forward in a career, I remember one of my biggest biggest reoccurring self doubts was actually taking the test to get certifications. I knew that everybody wanted me where I worked to have the certifications. The more certifications I had, the more clients that they could dangle me in front of the bigger name clients. Bigger name clients like to have those certifications. And also when I was a nine to five, same thing, you know, if you get a good solid certification that's in line with your job, it helps on the next review. And I knew it. I knew it. But I just, I couldn't get over the nebulous nature of training and then the anxiety of taking the test and the doubt that I would actually be able to do it. That's where Linux Academy would make a huge difference for someone like me. Now, I'm able to use it casually, but I am able, having played around with it now for years, I can tell you this would have been an invaluable resource for me. They have hands-on, scenario-based labs that give you real experience, which is a fundamental feature for me to build up that confidence that I'm going to be able to pass the test. They have self-paced, in-depth video courses on every Linux, cloud, and DevOps topic you might want. Full-time humans are available whenever you get stuck. And then for the, for the certs specifically, they have courses created specifically to prepare you for those certification exams. And they have a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. They have a nice public profile where you can display to management or your clients the achievements you've had. And Linux Academy has worked really hard in the industry to become a well-established name. And that profile page holds weight now. And if you're busy like I am, they have a course scheduler that you can work with to set a time frame for your goals and stick to them. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. You go there to support this show and you sign up for a free seven-day trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Support the show and support your mind, right? Because you got to learn. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Mr. Dominic, do you have the learner's syndrome? It's not really a thing. However, uh, Joey uh, makes this connection over at HackerNoon.com. 
and it basically it's uh, it's the it's the age old problem that you've talked about when it comes to web frameworks over and over and over again. If in the, it's this fundamental FOMO that you have, and that is if I start building something and I really invest into it, and I, I feel like I'm learning it and I'm becoming an expert and I'm really creating something great. I, at the same time, I can't help but feel like I am missing out on learning the new cool technologies and have a fear of being left behind. I know we've talked about this, and I know you've talked about this problem, and uh, I want to give you the floor because I'd like to argue that that fear is legitimate, it is justified, and um, it is that little part intel- inside you telling you you're becoming less and less competitive. Uh, I thought maybe you'd have a different view. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I do. Okay. So I, I don't think that fear is justified just because, of, I mean, I'm looking at this guy's chart here. The scale, right, the, the scale of, let's just take front-end web development, of new JavaScript frameworks, um, you know, the, the, the variants on the JavaScript language, right, Dart, TypeScript, CoffeeScript, I mean, you know, they really pick your poison. Backbone, Vue, all seventeen thousand versions of Angular, um, React, which now is not encumbered by Facebook's crazy license. Um, I mean, there's like twenty others. I, I just I'm getting overwhelmed just thinking about it. Why Why does it matter? Like, if if your application now you shouldn't be dogmatic, but if your application works fine and you're providing value either for your business or to your customers, I don't think it particularly matters if you write something in, let's say, React or Vue or Angular. Uh, you just have to make sure it's something that's easily maintainable and that will be around for a while. Yeah, fair enough. I would I would completely agree with that. Um, I think the, the scenario in which you choose to buy into is what makes all the difference. So if you are buying into, I'm going to build something and this is going to be a revenue sustainer for me and I can invest in this for years and years to come, then you're right. You're absolutely 100% right. However, not, not everyone is in the luxury of that position. Some people are trying to create something. It's not getting traction. And they want to rebuild and try something else, but now they've they've invested tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of their life into say PHP or ASP.NET or whatever, and they want to shift to something else. And they have to set they have to start over on a lot of things. And I think that 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 is a, a worry in the back of their mind because it's something that does legitimately happen in the tech industry over and over and over again. The reason why they are worried about it is because that does happen. Okay, so. It, it does, right? I mean, most recently, it's happened with Objective-C, much to my deep, deep Well, it pretty much happens to all technologies eventually in this industry. Yeah, but like, you know, Slack is written in PHP, right? On the back end. Um, there are a lot of people doing, running a lot of high-grade applications in ASP Classic still. Um, hell, there are COBOL dudes running around, right, making a ton of money because... You know, most of them are dead, so it's blind demand. I don't, I guess I don't see why, are you, so you, are you saying the risk is that you will become unmarketable? Or the risk is that 
you think your application or whatever it is you're building will be better because you use the new hotness. Because I think that's no, a no, fallacy, no, no, right? No, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely just more like market trends, getting on the hype bandwagon where people are willing to invest time and energy. Right, but if you, I mean, even if you just did the JavaScript hype bandwagon for the front-end frameworks, every six months you'd have to change technology. Yeah, there, there has. that's where I was going is there has to be a balance where you keep a radar of what's out and what seems to be trending in the right directions per your personal requirements while at the same time staying focused on the work at hand and not bailing until it's the right time. <laughs> so it's like this impossible spectrum that you have to monitor of technologies and then decide which ones are the trendsetters that, that align with your goals and then decide when they have eclipsed the thing that you're currently invested in. And it's an impossible also, recipe. Like, if you specialize in like a few technologies, you can develop your own libraries, your own you know, code snippets, references that you can use yeah, later in future yeah. projects. Right. You get better at working with the framework. Right? Yeah, absolutely. If you're constantly switching, you're not doing anybody any favors. right? You're, you become less efficient, therefore yeah. more expensive to your customers. The, 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 old, the, fam- the famous saying is you become jack of all, master of none. Right. I mean, like, like you, you become a compromise, shitty thing, kind of like Swift. Oh, gee, oh, 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 um, did you, uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's an impossible, anxious, uh, anxiety, I should say, anxiety-inducing situation, and I, 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 I just, I don't, I, my, my, my advice is the only thing you can do is invest in methods that feel like they inform you of what you need to be informed about that's out there and set your own goalposts. Like Mike's saying, there's nothing wrong with investing time into something and becoming an expert in that. And as long as it's something that's going to be around even for five years, you're probably okay. You know, things change a lot in five years. Things, it's, it's, there's so many other things to worry about, but I do totally connect with the issue. Because it happens in open source, it happens in media, definitely happens in media, in like broadcasting and all that stuff, it's a big thing. Um, it's so, in several different aspects that, of, of my life that I, where I follow different technologies and trends, it's a constant sort of, sort of uh, struggle. So I definitely, I definitely can appreciate the problem, uh, but I, I think I probably follow where Mike, Mike does. Like I said, Mike was right, right? That's, that was the point of that segment. Mike, Mike was right. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, uh, we uh, we don't have much more from the Mike was right segment. Uh, are you are you feeling like it's time to get into code? Are you feeling like it's time to talk optionals? Or yes, do you- I have this. The, I I have this new uh, WinRT app I'm working on. Because <laughs> uh, Mike's also been very very wrong. <laughs> yes. are you, wait, now I thought you're kidding, but then that last comment there makes me think you're not kidding. You better be kidding about the WinRT app thing, right? You are kidding. Of course I'm kidding. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure. No, I, I, I am kidding, yeah. Okay. I mean, for all a second right, so, there, I thought I was going to have to get in Lady Jupes and drive down to Florida and have some kind of intervention. But Chris, look at this Nokia phone. It's coming <laughs> back. <laughs> oh, it hurts. It's too soon. Too soon. No, uh, but I was surprised to see you wanted to talk Swift. I do. I want to talk optionals and Swift. And get ready, crybabies. There's actual code. Hmm. Here we go. It's linked in the show notes, even. It is. It is. And I can't see the screen, so I'm assuming you put it on the air. I did, just magically, right then. Boom. All right. So, first of all, I want to preface this. This is a feature of the Swift programming language. Therefore, 
it is by extension bad. Swift is bad. This is bad. Sure, right. And is this specifically when I was reading about it, is this this is a Swift four thing? Because Swift four oh Swift four introduces optional type, which handles the yeah. absence of a value. Optional say either there is a value and it equals X, or there isn't a value at all. So that, 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 that's a new addition to Swift 4. But optionals have been in Swift basically the entire time. Actually, the entire time. Gotcha. So we're not, we're, today we are not talking about the Swift 4 uh, additions. Okay. We're talking about basic concept, what's an optional? Okay. So if you take a look at our gist here, you'll notice I have a class. And I know Swift diehards, you're like, that could be a struct. I know it could, but it's not. So <laughs> too bad. Um, the class is called Gungan. After our favorite recurring guest, Absolutely. All right, so Gungan, the Gungan class, has some properties. A name property that is a string, and then the sneaky little fifth-grade diploma property that's a string with the question mark. Now, fun fact about Swift is you would think that 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 string and string question mark are the same class. Wouldn't you the same type? They are not. Okay. Um, In Swift, anything with question mark is basically... Uh, it is an optional that could contain uh, so so how it works is so fifth grade diploma there is an optional type that could contain a string value uh, we get into the concept of unwrapping so think of optionals and this is going to be really this is like assuming of no knowledge here so this is basic introduction think of them as Christmas presents they're little boxes right like Chinese food boxes you don't know what's in there. It could be mushu pork. It could be a dog turd. It could be nil. Okay. <laughs> there you go. I like this so far. So we have a couple functions. We have func, which is because, you know, functions way too too long to type and swift is weird. Greet Jedi string. So, again, we are passing in a string um, that it's a named parameter, so it's just called Jedi and we're returning a string. In this case, everything's great, right? Some basic string concatenation. Um, if you call that and you actually send it a string, you'll get return, hey, Jedi, Misa, your name, right? So great, everything's ha- happy. But notice how when I initialize name at the top of the file, I put var name colon string equals empty quotes. If you have a property that is not an optional in Swift, you must initialize a value. Now, that is a stupid value for me to have initialized, but I'm lazing what you guys want. Theoretically, you would give us some default name, like Jar Jar, perhaps. In the event that you pass a correct, so we, we, so we created let Jar equals Gunkin, we created a, uh, a instance of the class, right? If you pass it a name, such as Qui-Gon, it's all good in the hood. If you try to pass it nil, this is a big change from Objective C. So in the past, in Objective C, if you were done like jar, you know, dot greet nil, it would um, Objective C could do a runtime crash, and we don't like that, right? And in some cases, because of message sending, it might actually just not happen, right? But in this case, it would crash. Swift, this is this is the main advantage, or one of the main advantages of how Swift handles all this optional stuff. The compiler will not let you do this. So that line there, line 32, is actually, if you throw it in Xcode or, or in Xcode Playgrounds, it's a compiler error. Mm. You can't do that. Okay. Just not allowed. So, great. Oh, 
that's a little dumb, right? Like, what if you're not sure? Let's say this is a GUI application and you are like doing a D&D character generator and the person's creating a Jedi, but you know how users are. Some joker is going to put in an empty string, right? Or they're just not going to fill in the name field. So now we have funk dark side group. If, oh, this is, yeah. So same idea, right? I just, same, same structure, just using different variables. Notice though, that the string there has an exclamation point. That is very, very bad. What that does is it tells Swift not to worry about it. it. Tells the Swift compiler not to worry about it. But if you pass in a name like Count Dooku, it works. If you pass in nil, the compiler will not catch that error because you are unwrapping it. That's what that means. The exclamation point unwraps it. So what you're saying to the compiler is, I guarantee you that there is a value here. Hmm. And it crashes horribly. Okay. And it's a runtime crash too. Huh. So it's, it's, it's the same as a... Uh, if you've ever done iOS development, it's like an exe bad access kind of error, right? Mm -hmm. The idea here of using the unwrapping, you might want to do that in a case where you absolutely 100%, you know, swear on Lady Jupes, you know there's a value. <laughs> in any other case, you should not do that. I mean, I, I understand and I find some of this stuff is frustrating and we'll get to the actual optional in a second. And it, it is tempting to just like start slapping exclamation points everywhere, um, but don't do it. You, you, you're, you're, this is one of the primary advantages of Swift over Objective-C. So doing that, you're getting all the crap and losing all the benefits. Now, you'll remember in my little example that Jar Jar has a fifth grade diploma variable. But you also notice that I declared that one with an exclamation point, like uh, with a question mark rather. That is an optional. What that means is it may or may not exist, right? It's our, it's our Chinese food box. There's mushu pork or nil. That's it. In this case, he has a diploma or he has nothing. So you can do all little kind of fun tricks. So look at func, really I hate it. I'm just gonna say function. Function brag about education. Straight function returns a string, takes no parameters. You have this, um, they call this optional binding. So if let education equals fifth grade diploma. What this does, is it will assign, it will create a variable called education and it will assign its value to fifth grade diploma, right? So the value of fifth grade diploma becomes education. So let's say fifth grade diploma was like, you know, Seattle public school or whatever. The education variable would read Seattle public school. If it's there, that assignment happens and then we return a string. Misa went to, you know, Seattle public school up to grade five. Ooh, that explains a few things. <laughs> if it does not and this is kind of the uh, the uh, optional binding trick the assignment never happens so no value is assigned to education and it's not initialized and you immediately jump to the else clause and then you just you know I just return a stupid jar jar thing because it's jar jar naturally so I know I threw a lot of stuff at, the, at, at you Chris I like it does that make sense yeah it does it does. It's nice to be able to see it. So if you're listening, I would recommend you go look at the show notes and click on the link to the gist because that does obviously clear it up and then play back this part. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good idea. Now, as with everything Apple calls revolutionary, <laughs> they are not the first people to think of this. This has been around for a while. <gasps> no. Uh, 
I think the nearest um, and probably most commonly known example, certainly by the, the Uber devs, is going to be the maybe keyword from Haskell that you teased at the beginning of the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. I, I do not have a Haskell example because I do not write Haskell, but it's the same idea, right? You're saying that this value could be nil, right? Or, or in Haskell's considering it's null, but right? So it's, it is, you are not sure. Um, as much as I find all this exclamation point, this forced unwrapping, unwrapping optional crap annoying in Swift, because I think the syntax is very confusing. I wish they had some, done something a bit more like Haskell, like a keyword. It actually will catch a lot of programming errors at dev time um, of the category of like null checking, right? Having said that, if you do the bad thing I put in there with the exclamation <laughs> point, it's like force unwrap everything, yeah. you are giving all of this up. So don't do it. All right. But I love that. He's like, I love instability. There's <laughs> nothing like having your Google Maps GPS app crash when Yo. you're lost. Camden, oh, man. Oh, man. Don't trigger me now. Don't trigger me now. Well, thank you, Mr. Dominic. Welcome. Now, I have a couple of questions for you, but first let me mention DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com, create your account, and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. That'll give you a $10 credit, and with that $10 credit, you can do quite a bit. Now, DigitalOcean is a way to spin up a really fast system. They call them droplets on their infrastructure in less than 55 seconds. And they have SSDs for everything, for the... Nice, like three cents an hour system that I love, all the way up to the systems with hundreds of gig. Yeah, I said hundreds of gigs of RAM. They have a beautiful dashboard, and I mean beautiful, that actually makes managing virtual machines across data centers all over the world easy, but yet still very powerful. And they have a simple and intuitive API with lots of command line utilities that allow you to run large scale applications or manage it in ways that snap in with your workflow through bots like we use it through, or even just through apps like a, on a smartphone. They have block storage, which I've recently just been playing around with more. I just, attached, I just attached 100 gigabytes of block storage to one of my systems. I love how it works. It just shows up as a block device. I take two seconds, I edit my FS tab, and I'm done. It's beautiful. But recently, DigitalOcean has introduced something new. Object storage. They call it Spaces. And it's incredible. Securely store and deliver any amount of data with the same simplicity you've come to expect from all things DigitalOcean. You can instantaneously create a cost-effective, reliable storage space using their drag-and-drop UI or their API. And I've used it just to create a few public links that expire, and I've begun fantasizing about ways that we could use it with JBot immediately. And here's the best part. They're letting you try out spaces two months for free. So go create an account. Go to DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. Get the $10 credit. And then go try out Spaces and get that two months for free. That's a great combo at DigitalOcean.com. Just use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, DigitalOcean.com. Promo code CODERDIGITAL. <laughs> so, Mr. Dominic, what inspired you to actually sit down and put some code on the show? Because I know that's always something you struggle with on an audio podcast because that's something that can really flop for people that aren't and really the minority are all watching the video and the majority are listening to the audio so what made you uh, decide to do it oh you're gonna track you're gonna trigger me all right <laughs> so uh, have you noticed the subreddit 
Oh, really? It was in response to the subreddit. It's like a little <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I, I want to try a few new things. This is one of them. I mean, I, I do. You think have been that, brewing on a few things, right? It's you know, I, I would love feedback on this. Well, I, I, I get the desire to have more code on a show called Quota Radio. I can't imagine anybody who was just listening to that in a car found that particularly valuable. The other problem I think we're, we have, particularly with that presentation, is if you're new to the concept of optionals and Swift, that was probably pretty valuable to you, right? Um, and if you're interested in it, of course. But if you've done like any non-trivial amount of Swift or working with uh, optionals in other languages, then that was probably a little below what you would want to hear. Right, but that's a hard line to walk because the people that right. would know more are probably getting it from other sources than audio podcasts. One would think, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that, that that's a challenge, right? Because the, the alternative thing I was going to do was actually some... Uh, some fun machine learning stuff uh, it shows some stuff off from Alice, but that seemed even more dense and hard to do on a podcast. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that is why, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. Um, you know, I, I gotta be honest. I don't necessarily think some of the feedback is, is correct. I think it's easy to say, do all these code presentations or whatever, but in practice, it's not good. Right. It, it um or or it's not good for everyone. Right. Yeah. Like if you're a YouTube watcher, I think that might have, that was great. Right? Yeah. I yep. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which would be about yeah. eight nine hundred people, uh, which is about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, not, it's I, very I, right. I just it's, like yeah. It's I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't it doesn't register on the radar, but it, it, it we like we love everybody who watches us on YouTube, but. Yeah, the video version, and more than anything else in this show, ends up being a way people find the show, and then they find out about the show, and they switch to the audio feed. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to try was the um, something I've been talking about, uh, you know, the open source project of the week. And I don't know if we talked about this, Chris. No, but it's a good idea, and there is a bit of a hole since last on, on things like that. And so, of course, I'm picking Pop! OS because... (laughs) (laughs) You trolly bastard. You trolly... (laughs) That's right. You want a programming? You got Swift. You you, you want more open source? You get Pop. That is Um, unbelievable. All kidding aside, they just had their 1.0 release. It is looking not too shabby. Yeah, congrats to them. I mean, that's a major milestone for any project. And uh, I have a sense that they're just getting started. I I have a sense that if you check back in in a couple releases... It's going to be a totally, I hope, it's going to be a totally different conversation. And having said that, I downloaded the Ubuntu beta. And, uh, yeah. and it's good. It's so good. It's, 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 that, is, that and Firefox Quantum. Mm. I feel like my workstation is, uh, in the end of 2017, is really coming together. It's really like I got, I got my remote systems. I've got my laptops with 1710. I'm, I feel like I'm in a really good position. I think 2018 is the year of the Linux desktop. Uh, what about the year of the Home Mini? Um, because some a certain somebody apparently picked one up. I, I got to be honest, that at that if that lower fifty dollar dot level price, it is way more tempting. Yeah, I uh, uh, I feel like though, and I'd be curious to know if of course you've had the Google Home before, so you already know. You already know you kind of like it, I guess. Yeah, it's on my desk right okay. here. Okay, all right. Mm. So you so you're going all in. You crazy! No, I, have an, I, I have an Echo at the house too. It's, and which one do you prefer? I have yet to plug in the Echo. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, one of the. What do you use right, it so, for? What do you use the home for? Primarily music. I mean, 
Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah so okay. you are going to get a HomePod I mean, then. No. <laughs> the, 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 so it's kind of a, a weird situation. Um, I did try out the Mini. I mean, I got it yesterday. I hooked it up. If, you, if you've ever used Google AI or other Google Assistant, you know exactly what it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, it is not a good speaker. No. I mean, it's so small. I have and I, right, and I, I have bet, a I bet it's better than the dot, but I mean that's still not saying much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm I got it because I want to write a review of it because I'm you know very interested in these things, this potential like things that are become more common for for technology in general and front ends but, too, maybe like an application, a hosted application hmm, or service. Maybe, or maybe. I mean, I'm that's sure really what I see these is for developers as an opportunity. Yeah. It's like another. It's an. It's another endpoint. It's another way. Right. It's a, It's another place right. to run your app. I mean. A certain bot who currently only communicates via text. But the audio quality just sucks. I mean, it's it's not good. And I get that it's like 40 bucks and, you know, it's tiny. Um, I I think a better purchase if you're in the market for this is the Sonos One. The new one. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, music is the big thing that they end up getting used by the family a lot for it too. I was just I, I the reason I was asking is I thought maybe maybe he's uh, maybe he's thinking about uh, loading um, maybe some sort of like skill or I don't know what they I forget what they call them ability. I thought maybe uh, Google calls them actions. I think. What, what, what would it take? What would it take for you to take a product you've purchased and convert that into an action on your half of like actually developing an app? Would it take a product that like so? Say you took this thing out of the box, you hooked it up, and you went. Holy shit, this is useful. This is useful. There's a bunch of really great abilities on this thing and uh, uh and there's a clear way for me to submit my ability and maybe even a queer a clear way uh to connect it and sell it. Like, what would it take for you to c- convert this purchase into actually developing for this thing? Cuz they're not hitting that note for me yet. So I assume they're not hitting it for you yet. No. Um Well, uh, so, so, so there's a few problems, right? Uh, I, I'm, of course, thinking of Alice in particular. Uh, it's not a consumer product, right? It's a bot focused on businesses. Mm, okay, so. and probably this isn't a big business product. Right. And, and, and I would say if you are developing some sort of skill, you have to target the Echo. I mean, the, the just, I mean, Amazon won't release numbers, but it's, it seems pretty obvious that uh, um, Alexa is the most prominent uh you know ai assistant or whatever you want to call it lady lady tube is what you call it mm-hmm. um and i would not target the home pod if you paid me because i just <laughs> what's the point I, I, I can't even imagine what they're gonna charge for that so it, oh, I, think, I think they announced the price it's gonna be close to like 380 or something like that but of course it is there's yeah, literally so, zero user base right no user base series kind of crap you take that back no. Okay. I'm not okay. taking it back. Fair enough. Um, yeah, okay. I, yeah. I, I think your first point was probably the strongest, too. I, I was just curious um, because, boy, I sure would. Like, I would love for somebody to come along and make, make these dots that I have in the studio even more useful for business stuff. Yeah, I, I would like to, too, right? But the other problem is... Do you want that? It's, your, it's our what, business is going to be comfortable. So there's a lot of privacy problems, but... Like, there's know. a reason there's no echo in, in the offices, right? Because... Yeah. Some joker could just like come in and be like, hey, yep. order, yeah. Right, but there was also a time where there was no iPhones and iPads and MacBooks and no Chromecasts and no Chromebooks. 
in right but, but you so this is a good product idea for somebody by the way there needs to be like the equivalent of an mdm for these things right like a device management where you can say this is my echo that is for the office somebody you know, for yeah i mean yeah. it seems like a great a great opportunity for some open source project maybe you could call it like sherlock or moriarty something like that and it would be an open source project that would essentially do all this that you could run on a self-hosted system wouldn't that be great if something like that would come that, along that, that's not a th- isn't that a, is that a thing that really exists or no <laughs> i'm making fun of the minecraft the fact that the minecraft is still not oh i know savage I know. <laughs> oh, that was unnecessary I, I i i wish them all the best but god dang it like google and amazon are lapping the minecraft project now and this really would be like an op- a really legitimate open source bot like ai assistant like this would be useful for people like you to people like me it would be very uh, very useful I mean, again, not to keep tying back into the Mike was right segment, the TechCrunch story about uh, the the Big Five. That's a problem, right? Mycroft came out with a really interesting tech demo on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and then because they are little and you know made mistakes, they're I, they, I can't imagine they can compete. Like it just. I know now they have the problem of a huge ecosystem of uh, third-party accessories that are built for Echo or built for a Google. I have to say, if I was looking at consumer, which I'm sure, I know a lot of the people listening to the show like want to do consumer apps and things, I would be looking at the Amazon platform. Um, they actually just came out with the Amazon Artificial Intelligence Machine Learning Tools in AWS that is not the correct name, but Google it, you'll find it. Um, and they're they're doing incentives financially for for developers, so they're giving you a break on some of your AWS bills. That's that that's where I'd be going, right? If I was doing something consumer facing, it, it is in people's kitchen. It has the spouse approval factor. Um, you know what? My like I have relatives in their seventies who think the Echo is awesome, and they like, oh yeah, love it. yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's, it's, it's like it's like tablets. It has that full age range appeal. Yeah, I. I Again, in fact, the more I, as I talk this out, even in the space I'm dealing with, I would probably go with Amazon because yeah, yep. it seems like what's going to happen is people are going to say, gee, the Echo is really convenient at home and I have a small business. Right. You know what? If, if I just like disable purchases, yep. this might be nice to have in the office. Like, who says, yeah. you know, so Amazon just recently rolled out voice recognition, just like uh, the other right. the others are working on. And uh, and you get with that individual Amazon profile support. Well, who says that Amazon won't day one one day just say, okay, well now you can create a business profile, and this is your business account. It's not connected to your music or you your Amazon. Can. Oh, you can. Not not on the Echo, but Amazon already has a concept of like my Amazon account has two modes. Oh. It has like my personal and it has a business mode. So they could just extend it, that to the Echo then. Right, and you could have like permissions, like again, like an MDM, a management portal, where you say. We can play my music, but they can't see, like, my, you know... Wow. What? Wow. Right. Okay. Well, so it doesn't seem like it would actually take them that much to connect the, the dots. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You see what I did there, Mr. Dominic? Anyways, oh. it's, a, it's just a fascinating frontier, and so I, play with it a bit and share your thoughts with me, because it's something I... I, I that particular, uh, you know, the Google stuff, I'm not really dipping my toes into, but I am curious to see what they're doing, because obviously they're one of the more legitimate contenders in the market, so... You can be our boots on the ground for that particular test, okay? Are you good? You hang on to that and and then report back? Absolutely. All right, well, so why don't you tell the folks before we get out of here some parting words on where they can find you, and you've mentioned Alice. Maybe where they can find Alice. Go to themadbotter.com. 
And you can find me at Dumanuku on Twitter. Also, follow at the Mad Botter. We're finally going to send out some treats. <laughs> very oh, at the Mad Botter Inc. Sorry. Oh, very good. Also, follow me at Chris LAS, the network at Jupiter Signal. And if you're a patron, go check out the new patron exclusive vlog that was posted a few days ago from New York. Content just for you, my friends. And if you're not supporting the network yet, patreon.com slash Jupiter Signal. We'd love to have your support. Thank you for joining us this week on the show. We're live now on Mondays. Go to jblive.tv to catch that shenanigans. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it converted to your local time. Go to radio.reddit.com and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact for feedback. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.